But we're moving through this very searching uh, prophecy of Malachi, the last word from God in Old Testament times. Nothing else will be heard until uh, John the Baptist comes uh, declaring that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Outwardly, it would seem, in uh, Jerusalem and in Israel, all seems well to a casual visitor to the uh, city there and to the temple area. The temple has been rebuilt. Uh, the walls have been completed. The gates are in place. The priests are active. Sacrifices are being offered. Uh, there is lots of activity. But there is no heart. Uh, they doubt God's love for them. Uh, they feel they have no evidence for that. It is heartless. Indeed, we're going to see thoughtless worship and uh, God is not pleased. And he raises up Malachi to contend with the people. They're rather shocked at what is being said to them. Uh, in what way have we uh, done this? And God comes back with uh, powerful answers to them. Uh, in fact, God tells them that their worship is vain and uh, futile. Verse 10, since your worship is heartless, who is there among you? who would not shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. It's a little bit reminiscent of um, what the Lord has to say to the church at Ephesus. Lots of activity, and yet he has a contention uh, with them. They have lost their first love. Love is a, a powerful Wonderful thing. It is in the very heart of God from eternity past. It is that dynamic attribute of God uh, that caused the gospel to shine forth. God so, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love that dynamic attribute uh, of God. And we ought to respond in love back to him. We love him because he first loved us. Now, last time we looked at verses uh, 6 through to 10, and we saw clearly uh, the problem in Israel, the problem in Jerusalem began at the top. It's uh, the priests who are being addressed here in this section in particular. Verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. God, Father, Master, where is his honour? Where is his reverence? The requirements of God are very obvious and very simple and very beautiful. God requires the best for he has given us of his very heart when Paul writes to the church in Rome we're looking at this on Wednesday evenings when I take the midweek uh, study uh, looking at gifts but before we got on to the gifts then uh, we thought about these words in Romans chapter 12 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
reasonable service. Paul is standing back. After all that's been displayed in Romans chapters 1 through to 11, that glorious view of the gospel and all that God has done for us in our desperate need that he sends his son to hell-deserving sinners like you and me. Let's never forget where we came from. Let's think where we would be tonight apart from the grace of God. Where would you be? Well, you might be sat in the chapel, but your heart would be far away. There's an old chorus I sang in my student days. Uh, He brought me in. How am I here? How am I here preaching? How are you here sitting tonight? It's all the grace of God. He brought me in. He brought me in. Oh, I praise God He brought me in. When I look out yonder, where I might have been, oh, I praise God. He brought me in. In view of God's mercies to us, the only logical way is to serve Him with all our hearts. I quoted a little section from Tim Keller in his excellent commentary on the Romans. If you want a brief summary of Romans, then uh, Tim Keller's two-volume commentary, each volume very brief, is uh, very, very helpful. And he makes this comment. In short, once you have a good view of God's mercy, anything less than a total, complete sacrifice of yourself to God is completely irrational. If you give yourself partially or half-heartedly, you are simply not thinking. Not thinking. That's what we want to do tonight. Ponder anew. All the Almighty has done, will do, is doing. Ponder anew. If you don't give yourself completely, you're simply not thinking. You are not looking at what Jesus did. If what He did does not move you, or break the ice over your soul, you must ask yourself if you have ever understood the gospel. Now, Old Testament times, they had the shadows, the prophecies, the promises, the types and the figures. You and I have far less excuse for half-hearted service, for we see the gospel in glorious technicolor, revealed to our very eyes those great events of 2,000 years ago, Jesus crucified me. The requirements, God deserves the best. There's a lovely hymn. There's so many hymns we could have sung tonight. Here's, uh, here's another one. When all thy mercies, O oh my God, my rising soul surveys. When you and I waken up in the morning, let's focus on God first of all. Don't turn on the news. Don't look at Facebook and WhatsApp. Uh, don't uh, turn on the radio. Let's tune in to the living God, mediated through the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And let's remind ourselves who we are and uh, what God has done for us, is doing for us, will do for us. And if we do that, when all thy mercies, oh my God, my rising soul surveys, transported in the view, oh, I, I'm lost. In wonder, love, and praise, unnumbered comforts on my soul, thy tender care bestowed, before my infant heart conceived, from whom those blessings flowed. When worn with sickness. Now, some of you at home now, 
uh, laid aside. We pray for a swift recovery. When worn with sickness, oft as thou with health, renew my face. And when in sin and sorrow sunk, you know, we can backslide. The world, the flesh, the devil mitigate against us, making progress. But then, then, when in sin and sorrow sunk, revive my soul with grace. I don't deserve it. It's grace. I mean, to sin against grace. What a terrible thing. 10,000, thousand precious gifts, my daily thanks employ. Do you know, if we were taken up with all the mercies of God, we wouldn't have time to complain. There are just so many mercies. The hymn writer puts it so well. Joseph Addison, 10,000, thousand precious gifts. Well, my daily thanks employ. I've got no time to complain. Just full of thanks. Nor is the least a cheerful heart. You got a cheerful Have I got a cheerful heart? If not, why not? Uh, who can cheer the heart like Jesus by his presence all divine? If you and I can't be cheerful, what hope for the world? We ought to be manifesting something quite remarkable. And that's what Israel were not doing at this time. I am a great God, says the Lord in verse 11 and verse 14. He repeats it. You are meant to be a light for the Gentiles. The light is so dim. Wish you put the fire out. Through every period of my life. Well, we've got some youngsters here. Who's the youngest person here tonight? A quick survey. There's a young man on the gallery at the back. Another couple of youngsters there. Good to see you tonight. Thanks for coming out. It's, it's, may God bless you. And may he speak to your dear hearts, youngsters. And who's the oldest person here tonight? I don't want to look too pointedly. But, uh, but think now. I mean, I was young. Now I'm older. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm old. Uh, am I middle-aged? I'm not sure. No, I'm old. But through every period of my life, you know, we can set off well. Thy goodness I'll pursue. And again, so much to mitigate against our souls, pursuing God, pursuing Christ, knowing Him. It's a battle. It's a fight all the way. Don't give in. He gives resources. The Holy Spirit, all-powerful. Through every period of my life, Thy goodness I'll pursue. And after death in distant worlds, the glorious theme renew. Through all eternity to Thee, a joyful song I'll raise. Now, that will be quite something, won't it? Unrestrained praise to the living God, to see Him and to glory, to explore, to know further, to pursue through all eternity to Thee a joyful song I'll raise. But oh, eternity's too short to utter all Thy praise. The requirements of God in the light of all He's done all he had done for these folks in Malachi's time, supremely, even more so for all that we know in our day and generation, is to give him the best. The reality in Malachi's time was that God received the dregs. That he got the leftovers. That cost the people nothing at all. I mean, we had a good Sunday lunch 
today and it was, it was roast pork and roast potatoes and broccoli and carrots and uh, honey-drenched uh, thingies, parsnips and uh, lovely gravy. And uh, at the end, there were things left and they were scraped off the plates into the, the well, not the dog, the dog. He, he got the leftovers. What does God get from you and me? Oh, I haven't got time. I don't think I've got the resources. I haven't got the heart because my heart's been given somewhere else and my time's invested far too much uh, elsewhere. God deserves the best, the requirements. The reality is, in Malachi's time, it was the leftovers, it was the dregs. It is so illogical uh, to serve in that way, in view of his mercies. And here's his complaint, verse 8, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Try offering them to your governor. Now, it's interesting, the word for governor here is the, the Persian word, so there would have been a Persian governor there still. Persia was the dominant force, and there was a governor there uh, in Jerusalem at the time, and uh, maybe th they want to bring a gift to the Persian governor. They're going to honour him with a meal, and the trumpeters are there, and they get out the best silver uh, salver, and they cover it with a, with a gold uh, lid over the, the meal they're going to serve, and uh, they bring it into the Persian governor's presence, and they lift the lid, and there's a look, well, let's see, it looks not. It's a leg of lamb, but it's putrefied maggots infested, and this is what God is so disturbed about. Half-hearted, cold-hearted service. Try offering that to your governor thoughtless offering, a dangerous offering, I'd suggest, to the Persian governor. Try offering that, says God, to your governor. What's the problem? Well, it comes back to a matter of the heart. These wonderful words, chapter 1 and verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, oh, we very much doubt that, in what way have you loved us? And so it's heartless worship. Their hearts are not in it. So where's my heart tonight as I preach? Where are our hearts tonight as we all listen? Don't know if you've been in the position where you've been uh, a preacher. Don't imagine the preacher doesn't listen. It is quite a remarkable thing that as I preach or as Wynne preaches, any preacher here, we find ourselves being struck along with the congregation as to what is being said. But where are our hearts are our hearts in it instead of some football teams well they've lost hearts their hearts are not in it maybe a tennis player who once performed really well now he's made lots of money he's reached the top. it's hard work his heart is no longer in it uh, some some worker it seems that, that his heart isn't in it anymore uh, a student uh, doing his a levels and uh, the teacher says well it just seems his heart is no longer in it and here with the priests and then with the people and what about us and God's response I just wish you would stop shut the doors deacons I just desire you will close the doors and padlock them now I wonder about COVID and uh, that time we were locked out what did we learn 
My prayer at St. Mellon's continue is that we would be refined as individuals and as a congregation. And the Lord has refined. He's removed certain people. He removed me and uh, put me somewhere else. Others have, have moved on. But others have been brought in uh, as well. A time of sifting. A time to consider. But now in particular, let's focus on these verses 11 to, to 14. The whole section goes together. It was worth that, uh, that recap. If their worship was heartless, it's also certainly thoughtless. Verses 11 through to 14. It is a thoughtless worship. A, a mind attitude that was completely wrong. Their mindset was wrong. Proverbs 23 and verse 7, as a man thinks, so is he. What we think actually manifests itself in how we conduct our uh, affairs. And back to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a mindset. It's how we think. Often we might say, well, I didn't feel like it. Or I didn't feel led. Felt led. Very strange substance. Felt led. I felt this fuzzy stuff. Led quite a high. I didn't, I, wasn't, I didn't feel led. Well, thinking. Right thinking, and God directs his attention to their thinking. To the latter part of verse 11. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you profane it, in that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food, is contemptible. I'm sure it wasn't said. I'm sure the priests weren't going around actually saying that the Lord, the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit and its food is contemptible. But it's their actions that give away how they think. As a man thinks, so is he. Our thinking reveals itself in our actions. And the priests gave them away not so much by what they said. They might say it inwardly. They weren't saying it out doubt they were but in their actions the table there at the temple and the sacrificial offerings this is the very center and the heart of worship and there at the temple the priests and the people by and large are going through the motions and in their thinking this is a waste of time why are we going through this? But still they come, and still they do. And here and now, this evening, two and a half thousand years later, we can sing very beautifully and we ponder, in a sense, the words, we, we love the place, O God, wherein thine honour dwells, the joy of thine abode, all earthly joys excels. Is it good to be here? Now, the Lord knows the truth of the matter. 
I might not say outwardly, what's, what's the point? But the way I conduct myself and my affairs and the conversations that we have and our attitudes towards each other will reveal exactly our view of God, his love and his greatness towards us. Do we love to be here? Why or oh why would I want to be anywhere else? For here, mediated by the Spirit, more of Christ that we can know. And after the service is finished, you know, I look forward to going to the back there and if you can stay, do stay, a cup of coffee, cup of tea. You might say, I can have a cup of tea or coffee at home. Yeah, but it's called fellowship. And those four pillars, the means of grace, they devoted themselves, Acts 2.42, to uh, the apostles' teaching, to prayer, uh, to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Fellowship, or oh, how we need each other. Iron sharpens iron. Do we love to be here? It is the house of prayer wherein thy servants meet. And thou, O Lord, art there, thy chosen flock to greet. Oh, what's the, what's the point? And then in verse 13, again, it's unlikely it's ever said outwardly, but listen to these words. Oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it. He's directing his comments primarily to the leadership and to the priests. So here, pastor, assistant pastor, elders, deacons would be, would be relevant and departmental leaders. And oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it. The priests, unlikely to have been said, weary. There's nobody here weary of God, surely. Surely. Let me just qualify this a little. It is not unusual, and it's certainly not sinful and needs to be recognised. It's not wrong. Well, it is wrong, but there's something we can do about it. I'm saying it's not a sinful thing to be weary in the work. Weary in the work, you might have a pastor who's been here since maybe, let's say, 2003. And uh, maybe he's been uh, working and working and working and for years. Um, uh, and he's never had a, a sabbatical, I, I don't know. I don't know who I'm thinking of. I don't know what church situation I might be thinking of. But uh, in many situations, every seven years, a pastor gets a sabbatical. And uh, it's not just that he has time off to do a jolly somewhere, but uh, some, some men take that time to do some research. Now, when I was given one after 16 years at St. Melons, I, for a long time I thought, I, I don't need one of those. Now, some men don't, and uh, I was influenced in this by Vernon Hyam, in that uh, he was saying to me, oh, there are men and they have these things called sabbaticals. I don't know why they need sabbaticals. And I thought, well, I don't know why they need sabbaticals either. You're quite right. We ought to be full-time until the Lord takes us uh, above. Now, he was pretty unique, was uh, Mr. Hyam. And I thank God for every remembrance and the ministry that I enjoyed. Powerful, searching, uh, spirit-filled, Christ-exalting. He didn't need a sabbatical, and I don't think he ever had one. And uh, Well, that was him. Me, I sort of imbibed that. I don't need a sabbatical until I reached the age of about 60, and I was feeling pretty weary. Not of the work. Well, I love the work, but in the work. 
And it came to the point where I, I had to have some time off and I didn't do any research. I had a rest. I had a proper sabbatical and uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful time of rest and I came back feeling very refreshed. If you're weary in the work, it happens and there is every sympathy. It could be you being, doing Sunday school for many, many, many years and Sunday after Sunday. It could be you're in the kids clubs and the uh, Friday Night Live and uh, the, the, I don't know so many the, the ladies uh, work and um, the, I, so many things anything and, and everything where you just get weary not of the work but, but in the work you know Jesus Christ withdrew at times to arrest and to pray and seeing his disciples now Mark chapter 6 very interesting section where um, he sends out his disciples, verses 7 through to 12 in Mark chapter 6, to, uh, to preach and to teach and to cast out demons. And uh, they come back and report to him all that's been done. And then the story of John the Baptist is put in at the end of Mark chapter 6 in a great, great sadness, emotional turmoil. John the Baptist has been beheaded and emotionally so physically, out working and labouring and preaching and teaching. And uh, then the emotional upheaval and the turmoil. John the Baptist being beheaded. They come back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. No, it's, it's not a strange thing to be weary in the work. At St. Melons, we studied as uh, church leaders and group leaders a little book uh, called Serving Without Sinking just comes to, to, to mind. And it's one I, I commend, uh, Serving without sinking we can be weary in the work we need to recognize it step back and return reinvigorated but here are a group of priests and leaders who are weary of the work and that is a terrible terrible thing how tiresome to serve the how inconvenient their indifference their mechanical service religious routine and for us, we have to test ourselves. Yes, to be weary in the work, but are we weary of him? May it never be so. May every Sunday be a delight to us to look forward to being here morning yeah, and evening. I'm amazed at people who say, I get asked this question. And maybe you've been asked it too. Maybe you're thinking this to yourself. Maybe not because you're here. Um, how often should I go to church on a Sunday? I'd ask a question back to them. You're a member of a church, are you? Y yes, I am. How many services do they have? Two. Then you go to two. <laughs> How many do they have? Three. Then you go to three. How many do they have? One. Then you go to one. But whenever the word of God is being made available, surely... Why would I want to be anywhere else? Now, there are mitigations. There is childcare. There are health issues. 
there is being really, really physically tired and maybe you ought to stay at home and uh, maybe actually this night, rather than being so wonderfully spiritual and saying to your wife, I'm going to leave you with the four kids who are in a, a mess and one's being sick and the other one needs feeding and the other one needs bathing and the other one's just messed the nappy up and, uh, but I, I'm going to church and I'm going to leave you. No, there's a place for you staying actually and being spiritually helpful in the home. So all those qualifications we want to add. But without those being there, surely, how many times should I go? Why would you want to be anywhere else? But you don't, do you? Because you're here. And here we are. Is there that hunger and that desire? And the Lord knows our hearts. So, deacon, are you weary in the work? That's understandable. Are you weary of the work? I pray not. I pray not. The election's coming up. We need to be prayerfully considering. Are we nominating? As Richard reminded us this morning, I can't remember, I hope I was listening, Did you, whether you said it tonight, but if we don't nominate, then they're not going to be nominated. It's, it's up to, to us. But I hope deacons who are standing down, you are, well, shall I say happy to re-stand? It's not easy being a deacon. It's not easy being an elder, a pastor, or an assistant because you, yeah, everyone's got an opinion. But I, I trust you will. Maybe you are weary in the work. I hope you're not weary of the work. As elders, I think we're, we're 10 on the eldership. Maybe elders need sabbaticals as well. Pastor, may the Lord bless him on his uh, little uh, mini break, two weeks. Uh, may God renew his strength. Kids club leaders, you know, I, I've been round on a Friday. Such wonderful work going on in the, the back halls and in the, uh, the link there and the, uh, the coffee shop. Uh, I hope you're invigorated in the work, women's work, any area. Yeah, we can get weary in the work. May we never be weary of the work. Well, coming to something of a conclusion if our thinking is wrong and our hearts are wrong, then our actions will be wrong also. You say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring, here are the offerings, the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hands, says the Lord, but cursed be the deceiver, who has in his flock a male, a good healthy male, who takes a vow, he vows it to the Lord, but sacrifices to the Lord that which is blemished. Our actions. Do we give him the very best? Remember the story of a, a farmer who vowed to give the Lord one of his little lambs he dedicated it would be given to the lord and uh, maybe sold or be given to the lord's work and the flock had 10 lambs but one lamb died and he goes into his wife what a shame the lord's lamb has died yeah costs him nothing a sacrifice that costs nothing Sacrificed by the very word suggests strongly to us it should cost something. Now, to conclude then, what, what is the answer? 
What is the answer? Two things we need to remember. And one we've covered already, but we can never sound the depths of love divine. To remember his, his love. Verse 2. How wonderful this uh, challenging prophecy starts with these words from God. I have loved you, says the Lord. He's got a contention with his people, but he loves them. And if these things come hard to us, never forget. Never forget the love of God. And that as a father, he would look to discipline his children, to correct and to bring them back close to his heart. So he begins with that. I have loved you. Never forget the love of God. But also now never forget, and this is highlighted verse 11 and verse 14, the greatness of God. Verse 11, for from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And then the end of verse 14. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. God's love. God's greatness. Two wonderful buttresses against slipshod, half-hearted, thoughtless behaviour, worship, which is our whole lives, of course, not just what we do on a Sunday, but you continue to worship tonight and tomorrow morning in the checkout queue and in the office and uh, driving the train or the bus or behind the steering wheel, stick to the speed limits, especially if you've got a fish on the back of the car. You're a witness, we're meant to be a light to those in darkness. All our lives are worship, but to keep us in check, have these as bookends on, on your life. His love and his greatness in the middle we conduct ourselves. Always look into his love. I have loved you, says the Lord. I am a great king. We've forgotten how great God is. How could we offer anything half-hearted to one, half-hearted to one who has loved us with an everlasting love and is so very, very great? We're going to finish with um, a wonderful hymn very shortly. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. God, God's word, real help to us. How do I get God's word into me? I need to read it, I need to hear it, I need to memorize it, I need to hear sermons. But I also need to meditate. I think those, those five things. Meditation is often neglected because we're thinking in the back. Well, it's amazing what happens in this little room with the elders. It seemed to uh, preempt what I'm going to, to, to say. It happened this morning, it happened uh, this evening. We're so busy to consider. I think it was uh, Elder Wynn Evans who was saying, the brevity of life, never forget how brief it is. 65 this week. Did I mention my birthday is coming up this week? I think I mentioned it this morning. But 65. Where's that time gone? I remember school, starting school. Hopscotch, Tig, hide and seek. Yeah. Life is so brief. It goes so quickly. When do we get time to stop and think? Now think on the greatness of God. 
some time to meditate. The psalmists were great on this. My meditation of him shall be sweet. Time to settle. Not just to rush through your quiet time. Dumb a bit off what's next. Meditate. Stop. I'm going to give some time to this and think about the greatness of God, who he is. And to, here's a word, it came in Psalm 64 and verse 9 when I was reading uh, this week. I think the uh, New King James says consider, but the version I was reading picks up the word of this same to, to ponder, to ponder the works of God. And to ponder means this, is the dictionary definition, to think carefully about something, especially for a noticeable length of time. Uh, and then another word that comes in Psalm 39 and verse 3, to muse. Did you ever muse? Some great words here. They all need time. Meditate, ponder, and muse on the love of God and on the greatness of God. To muse, to become absorbed in thought, especially to think about something carefully and thoroughly. So I need to live between his love and his greatness. Verse 11. Now, this one we could spend a long time on verse 11 because it really is a stunning verse there in Malachi. It's a gospel verse. It's prophetic of gospel days. For from the rising of the sun in the east to its going down in the west, all over the world, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. Always God's plan. The Jews to be a light to the Gentiles. Oh yes, salvation came from the Jews, but it's for the whole world. For God so loved the world. My name shall be great among the Gentiles in every place. All over the world, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the Gentiles, says the Lord of hosts. It's a great gospel uh, verse. Are we reflecting the glory of God? Consider who God is. Consider who it is that we serve. And let's give him the best, for he is the very best. May our hearts be melted. The hymn we sang before the sermon, I'm rushing on towards a conclusion now. Then melt my heart, O Saviour. Bend me, yes, break me down, until I own the conqueror and Lord and sovereign crown. Oh, make me understand it. Help me to take it in. Let us live thankful lives. In the view of his mercies, in the view of his love, in the view of his greatness, we ought to be thankful. Let me finish with, with this. No, I've got something to read from John Benton uh, as well. Of all the offerings in the Old Testament, and there were, there were many, many were pres prescri prescribed. This, this is what you need to do if you sin you do this, you take this animal, you offer it, you bring it to the priest and uh, he will take it. All very much written down, prescribed what needs to, to happen. But there was an offering that you could offer at any time. And it was called the thank offering. There was no set time for that. If you felt your heart full, you just offered to the Lord. The thank offering. It's spontaneous 
and it came from a thankful heart. Or may that be our offering to him. Spontaneous, from a thankful heart. Let me conclude with, uh, again, if you want a commentary on Malachi, this is really quite excellent. John Benton's losing touch with the living God. It's not analytical, uh, it is sermonic. And by analytical, I mean it's not going through all the Hebrew words, telling you definitions and setting and lots of historical background. It, it, it is a series of sermons he, he preached, and, uh, but very, very helpful. Here's his conclusion to the section we've been considering Having seen something of the symptoms of Israel's spiritual decline, how will we know when our hearts are healthy? That is what surely we should be aiming at, to have healthy hearts. We are spiritually healthy when, unlike the Jews of Malachi's day, we have an attitude which believes that only the best is good enough for our God when we honestly offer him not disease sacrifices, but the very best of our lives, the best of our hearts, the best of our devotion. That is spiritual health. Perhaps for some of us, there is a deep need for a time of rededication as his servants to be the best that we can be for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this Again, all too brief time in your words. So quickly the time goes by and then we're back into the world and the affairs of the world. We pray that under the sound of your word, in the power of the Spirit, you would change us from glory into glory. Take the words that have been spoken tonight. Lord, filter out those things, not of yourself, but take the gold of the word that comes from you and apply it to each of our hearts individually and to us as a gathered church. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Amen. Well, let's conclude our worship service with um, him I was quoting earlier. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do, who with his love doth befriend thee. Let's stand and sing.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.